0: This is the Trout Bitten Podcast.
1: Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten.
0: This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Pitten and the author of TroutPitten.com. Yeah. All right, here's episode six of our Critical Nymphing Concepts series. We're glad to have you on board. Hey, this episode is all about having line on the water. Remember, with each of these episodes, we're talking about concepts more than skills. So, for example, part of our conversation tonight will be about mending line when we choose to put it on the surface. But we won't talk much about the technique of mending because that's a topic big enough for its own dedicated discussion, maybe even a short series, about various mending styles and things like that. Instead, tonight, our goal is to think about what happens when we mend, why we might mend the line, and how it affects the presentation or fits a scenario on the water. So that's the idea with these critical nymphing concepts, and mending is just a piece of this one. We'll also talk about floating the cider in a tight line rig, Tonight, we're considering line on the water. We'll talk about tension and slack, about fly lines and leaders. Remember, too, that each of these episodes, all of these concepts apply to whatever style of nymphing you're doing. So we might choose to lay line on the water with an indie rig and sometimes mend it, just like we might choose to float the cider with a tight line rig. We're here to talk about all of that tonight. But first, let me introduce. <laughs> I can't even get to it. <laughs> Come on. Let me hear it. But first, let me introduce to you my co-host, fishing buddy and travel partner to South America.
1: Hey, now.
0: Two-time Olympic champion, <laughs> Austin Dando. Here he
1: is. Here. <laughs> Olympic champion. What am I the champion of? Congratulations. It's not no, I didn't even know I won the first time. No, you're not a fishing champion, I'll tell you that. Mm, well, I assume that.
0: <laughs> you know what I think you're the
1: Olympic champion of? What's that? Chin-ups. You hey, know, I'll take that. All right. <laughs> I should tell the story because it's funny. It, it, yesterday was Austin's birthday. and That's Austin, right. what do you do on your birthday? <laughs> so it's it's a family tradition of mine that my dad started when I was young, and it was a His dad made him do it. But for every age, uh, every year that you are old, you must do one chin-up for each year before you can receive or celebrate your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) So since (laughs) I was probably maybe 10 or 11 years old, I have been doing as many chin-ups as years I am old before I get any birthday presents. And uh, this past weekend, my parents were up visiting and I did my 29 chin-ups. Well, I actually did 30. 31 chin-ups. Oh, just to show in off? There, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to kind of seal the deal. Yeah. Mm. And uh, these are real chin-ups, everybody. Um, mm. You know, the forward grip. And uh, I, I'm still in it. I'm still hanging in there. <laughs> I haven't hit 30 yet. This is the last year I'm not 30. I plan on yeah. staying under 30 for as long as I can. And uh, yeah, it's good. So I'm 48. Do you think that when you're 48, you'll be able to, able to do uh, 48 chin-ups? Absolutely not. <laughs> although, <laughs> although i was saying uh, the other day that you know when i was 22 yeah i thought man mm-hmm. i can hardly get to 22 and each year it's only gotten better so pretty soon i think i'll start experiencing diminishing returns but yeah until well, then i'm gonna ride it i remember
0: talking to another doctor not our buddy trevor smith but a different doctor friend of mine and he said your body is either building or it's tearing itself down <laughs> mm. <laughs> there's a certain line you cross at a certain age which you know yeah you know
1: you're either building or yeah. it's starting to break down well i think 30 is like the male physique prime so i'm still working my way into it austin i'm still in my prime <laughs> hey what's the better difference every de- day man
0: that's right that's right so i don't get it what's the difference between a chin-up and a pull-up i seriously don't know i've never known this
1: Yeah, it's all about hand position. Mm. So when your palms are facing you on the bar, Mm. that's a chin up. Okay, that's that's what you're doing. No, I'm doing pull ups. So we should rephrase that. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) okay, chin up. All right. So technically, you know, they easily interchanged. But for this conversation, it matters. A chin up Uh, is uh, if you don't do chin ups very often or pull ups, the chin up is easier because you're using your biceps. Yeah. That's a you know, palms toward you. Yeah. Now, if you flip around, your palms are away from you. Mm. That's now a pull-up. Seems harder. And uh, it, it is harder until you start doing a lot of pull-ups and your lats become more strong than your biceps and you can get more pulling strength. So yeah. especially, you know, I rock climb a lot and all that is, you know, facing away from myself. So all that pulling direction is uh, relevant to the, uh, mm. the pull-up. And that was a humble brag. Mm. I'm just speaking facts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, is my, this is my daily life. Yeah, daily life. What do you yeah. think your number is? What do you think? How old will you be when you can't do it? What? Just guess. I don't know. Thirty-three. Ooh, coming soon. All right. And then, how will you feel when that when that
1: day happens? I, I don't <laughs> like to think about that. <laughs> I'll feel really sad. Yeah, that's a neat thing, though. That's a neat thing. That. All right. Two-time
0: Olympic champion Austin Dando. Thanks for being here. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. All right. Before we Jump into our topic, Austin. Let's do a question. Um, This one is from JC on Instagram. You see this? You want to read this? He's talking about our last episode in this series titled Weight, The Fundamental Factor. We just did this last week.
1: And then I got this message from JC on Instagram. So JC asks, guys, you missed a point about beads on flies. When trout are feeding on small flies and the water is in runoff or something, I'm using big beads on the fly because it's the only way to get the small stuff down. Same with tippet diameter. There's no way you're getting a small fly down on 5X, as you suggest. Well, <laughs> I got a couple good
0: questions, which I'll kind of save for later. And then a couple like JC's question. I don't think he listened to the whole podcast. And if he did, he wasn't objective about it. And that's all right. I mean it. That's all right. I mean, I think, hmm, you and I have talked about, Austin. I, I, I shared some books with you, right? And you mm-hmm. have some of my books. Don't forget to give me my books back.
1: I never do. <laughs> Josh and Trevor keep them. But
0: anyway, I've often said, especially with technical books, it's like sometimes you're not ready for that information. Hmm. And I've said, like, I'll go back and read uh, Joe Humphrey's Trout Tactics every year. And I feel like every year I'm like, oh, that's what he meant by that. Because I have now fished enough to grasp what he's saying. Hmm. Wow. And maybe that's happening with JC here. But but seriously, we, we covered this. I mean, in that podcast. You know, he seriously might not have listened until the end. Of course, there are more ways to get your flies down besides the beads. You don't have to over bead your small fly to get it down. That's right. Put split shot on there. Use drop shot. Exactly. Or use a very heavy point fly. We didn't even get into that too much. But you can use two flies. It's okay. People used to catch fish on on two fly rigs. You can still do it. It actually catches more fish. And then the tippet diameter thing, we addressed that at the end.
1: Yeah. And I think the ability to be uh, versatile or uh, flexible in how you get that small fly down, other than a bead, uh, really lends you the freedom and the the options to fish a a small fly that um, may drift more naturally in the current. So yeah. if you're uh, overbeating your, your small fly or that profile or that taper becomes really whacked out because you got a massive bead on this small hook, yeah. um, that's going to look way different than a, a, you know, a naturally tapered fly um, on a you know, size 18 or 20 that's yeah. on a drop shot rig that can still move around in the current and be unhindered by excessive amounts of weight. You can definitely yeah. still do it. Yeah. You and I were just talking about drop rate on streamers. With our buddy
0: Bill and what he calls the super pause. (laughs) It's real. And and drop rate of streamers. So the same thing applies here to nymphs. And if you take a four millimeter bead and put it on a size 18 fly, first of all, the profile is no longer an 18. But second. Oh my gosh, it wants to drop so Mm -hmm. much more than a natural 18. Mm -hmm. Not saying you can't get a good drift on it. Absolutely you can. But there are other ways to do it. That's all I'm saying. And so to JC, yes. You can get it on 5X. Hell, you can get it on 3X. Go ahead. You know, you you ought to try things for yourself before you start saying this can't happen. Come on, JC. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to hate us. All right, then. Here we go. Let's do the topic. All right, Uh, then. Line on the water. That's our concept. (laughs) You like it. So line on the water, yes or no? Should we do it or not? When and why, Austin chin up champion you know you were a great arm wrestling champion know. for the christmas party too i don't want to take that away from you i don't know if it was olympic level mm. in your weight class <laughs> i'd take the weight class i think you know you were competitive yeah but anyway stop goofing around uh we're here to talk about line on the water um and we have a half hour to nail this down ready yep set go let's talk about why we might want to keep line off the water start by identifying what we call the tight line advantage because that really gets to the heart of this whole thing
1: yeah and right at the heart of things everything that touches the water Mm. drags drags (laughs) and everything that's underneath the water well it has potential to drag even more and and drag even more even more easily um so we eliminate drag by keeping the line and and the leader you know off the surface of the water because of that.
0: That's what we call the tight line advantage. Like you said, when it's under the water, oh, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. There's one thing to deal with on top of the water: it's the surface current. That's it's right. the top, and then you go underneath. It's complex down there. You can't even see, you can't see it. You can't read it. You don't really know what's going on underneath. The more pocket water you know the, the more swirls and back currents and back getties, the more mm-hmm. obstructions there are to break up the flow and create new current seams and all of that the more seams there are the more complex everything is from top to bottom and you can't read it you can't see it and the, everything that goes under the water drags even more so ideally we'd rather keep everything up and out of the water as much as possible that's what we call tight line advantage I think you just said that, Austin. <laughs> it's
1: it's a good thing to repeat.
0: hmm Got some criticism. Fair criticism for how much we will repeat things.
1: I saw that actually. Right? You're talking That's about the right. indie
0: rig. Oh no, that guy didn't like the word indie. I know. We really offended I'm, it. With we're that. not changing that. We should uh it was Apple Podcast comments. Somebody, it, guys, like you, mad at us. He said we, what we were, trendy and like flat brimmers.
1: <laughs> <I don't, laughs> right? I don't know if he used the the word flat brimmers, but he definitely said we were trendy, giving off a bro vibe.
0: <laughs> bro, that's what it was. I've never bro,
1: felt very broy in my life, but you no. know, maybe if I start using fly fishing slang like indie, no, I can't do forty eight pull ups or chin ups. <laughs> 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 no, I don't know, man.
0: I don't know. I've said indie for a long time. What's the big deal? We say indie instead of indicator. Yeah,
1: I don't Sorry. know. I think that might be a like a it and friend thing. I don't have other friends that call it indies, so maybe but you know uh, what we mean. So what's yeah. the big deal, right? We acknowledged the fact that that's what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, there's an abbreviation. Somebody had Forgive a problem us. with it.
1: That's all there is. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and we also repeated ourselves just now. <laughs>
0: Line on the water that's true. creates drag when conflicting currents affect different parts of that line. Seriously, think about that. And we try to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah, When everything is not in one lane, you're going to get that drag. This goes back all the way to the first episode of this season where we talk about, is everything in one lane? When it's not in one lane, you're going to get drag. You see it on a dry fly, but you can't see it on your nymph. That doesn't mean it's not happening underneath. It is happening underneath. It is being dragged around, pulled, and pushed around unnaturally, so it's not in one lane. And you know what? Yeah. We should acknowledge, again, as in all of these episodes so far, we're aiming for true dead drifts on a nymph, right? I mean, that's what this whole discussion is really centered around. Yes, trout will eat outside of a dead drift, but that's our baseline. And when you can get a great dead drift, well, then you can come out of the dead drift and alter out of the, we're going to talk about that next week. Yeah. Things to do when they're not really eating a dead drift. But if you can't get a dead drift, then you're not a very good nymph angler to be quite honest. Sorry. <laughs> we probably offended that same guy that didn't like the word indie. But really, it's so critical you have to be able to get a dead drift. So all of these episodes, all of these concepts have been centered around that uh, that objective.
1: Yeah. Getting a good dead drift. And I think that's especially important to remember when you think about the, you know, the three ways to get a dead drift or the, you know, we're talking about three mm-hmm. ways yeah. to do that. And you could kind of start to think about it well three ways to nymph fish and that's different because there are different hmm. ways to actively nymph fish or, you know, do certain so speed good. leads with nymphs. And that's not the same uh, conversation we're having. Great. That's
0: a good good distinction. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Trout bitten Crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well-fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Troutbitten's favorite beer. To tie the best flies, you need the best materials. With decades of commercial fly tying experience, Fooling Mill understands what it takes to tie a great fly. Over the past several years, they've worked hard to source and prepare a range of fly tying materials that will elevate your experience at the vice. Fooling Mill fly tying materials have arrived with a range of over 1,400 products. You'll find the staples like marabou, bucktail, and rabbit sonker strips. You'll also find CDC, stripped peacock quills, 12 dubbing ranges, synthetics, chenilles, yarns, and wools. All Fulling Mill materials come in an extensive range of colors that are consistently dyed, so what you receive from them tomorrow will be the same color next year. Their materials go through a rigorous quality control process, so before they're packaged and shipped out, you can be sure they're up to the highest quality standards. Ask for Fulling Mill fly tying materials at your local dealer, or find them online at fullingmill.com. So we know what the tight line advantage is then. Everything up and out of the water as much as possible. That tight line advantage though falls apart when the line or the leader sags because it causes drag. And it, it sags if you're fishing too far away. If you haven't been disciplined, you remember the, uh, in the first episode, the third question was, do I have to be this far away? Hmm. Meaning like basically fish as close as you can because once yeah. you go outside of that natural, an effective range, then yes, you're going to lose your tight line advantage. Now, all of this is variable. There's no doubt. Like more weight can counteract that leader sag. Yes. If you're going further out, okay, you're getting some leader sag. It's causing uh, unwanted drag. Okay. Add some weight and you can counteract it. We talked about that last week. And at the diameter of the leader and the fly line, everything that's out beyond the rod tip, that weighs something. And the lighter all of that is, the less, well, drag, the less influence than you're going to have on the fly. There are good things and bad things about all that. doesn't mean you always want to go as thin as possible, but all of that, all of that, the leader, the fly line, and yes, casting too far away with not Mm -hmm. enough weight, all of those things are going to take your tight line advantage away, or basically it falls apart.
1: Yeah, and there's external factors like we touched on last week, such as wind. That uh, when yeah. you make that cast, the wind can push that leader around just like a sail. And oh, it's yeah. really hard to get a true dead drift when that's happening.
0: No doubt. I experienced that today, buddy. I right started on. out nymphing. It was windy today. It was. That cold front, I guess, was coming in. And then, you know what? I got to fish in a blizzard. It was a true blizzard for about 15 minutes. <laughs> I saw minutes. some of that. It was yeah. cool. And I, as soon as that wind came in, though, I continued to nymph in it for about two minutes. Just two minutes and I went, okay, (laughs) I'm done with that. It's not working. Right, it's not working. And eh, there were many tactics or solutions that I could have gone to, but I chose to fish streamers. And I did that still on my tight line, and it worked. I told you about that. They were eating that deli super pause. It was just so much fun. That's good. A lot of fun. And so there are times when trying to keep line off the water is a disadvantage, like in the wind and like when you're going too far away. That tight line advantage falls apart. Well, if you don't do it right. So we want to stay close enough to keep most or all of the line off the water. And that can also happen with a fly line. And so before I really committed to a mono, like a full mono rig approach when I'm fishing weight underneath, whether that be a nymphing or streamers, then I was doing the Joe Humphreys approach. Mm. If you've been listening to trout bitten long enough. Or reading, then you understand. Like, we're big fans of Joe Humphreys. Heck, he's just right yeah. down the road, right? That's right. Fishing the same streams as us and it, just fantastic ideas. And if his mentor, of course, was George Harvey, just yep. great ideas. I don't care where you're from, they're great ideas. We're very much bought into that stuff. Joe Humphreys, trout tactics. He talks about the tight line advantage. I don't think he calls it that. He doesn't call it that. But what he's saying is keep all the line and leader off the water that you possibly can. Like Humphreys was teaching this. I think the book was published in 82. And that's what I was trying to do. Stay within that range with not a mono rig, but a 10 to 12 foot leader. Oh, and some there'd be about four to five feet of fly line right. outside of my rod guides. But
1: man, I would try to not be further away than that. Right? Yeah.
0: Did you fish like that, Austin?
1: Yeah, and you can right. feel that difference too. Like, oh yeah, even if even if you know before we were fishing a mono rig, you can tell you know instinctually back in that time when that fly line got outside of the rod tip, like mm, if I could avoid this fly line out of the rod tip because yeah. I feel it's starting to pull back, I I'd much rather do that. Yep. and it was just a natural transition to say, well, let's lengthen the leader and and push that fly line back to the reel. Sure. Um, so yeah, it definitely started that way. Sure. But even when, let's say
0: I'm using a fly line, and a nine foot leader, and to an indicator, I'll often use that tight line advantage mm-hmm. with a fly line and that nine foot leader, like I just described. Keep it up and off the water, and then the water isn't influencing it, assuming it's not windy. Yeah. That's often your best approach. And assuming, too, you're not
1: too far away where the drag hurts. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I mentioned this before too. But this past uh, spring, I fished with Joe, and mm, he, was yeah. fishing, uh, <laughs> he was fishing humble brag rod. He was fishing a you know nine ten foot leader uh, yeah. with the taper in it, but he was using it for dry fly fishing. He was doing dry dropper with it. He was doing wet flies, and he was yeah. nymphing with it. And when he was nymphing with it, he had really lightly weighted nymphs. But he was adding split shot in a strategic mm-hmm. way, and then fishing close to himself and right under the rod tip. So even though there's fly line out. It wasn't hurting him as much as it could be if he was fishing far away, across seams, things like that, because there wasn't really the drag or the resistance uh, that mm-hmm. you would find if you were to do those things with that mm-hmm. amount of mass out of the rod tip.
0: That's neat. That's neat to see it firsthand. It really
1: is. Yeah. I mean, he was doing the thing that we talk about. And you're like, yep, yeah. That's what he wrote about. And that's what he's doing right in front of me. Absolutely. It's and really you know cool. what?
0: There was probably somebody who wrote about it before he did and and somebody who was doing it before that guy was writing about it. Definitely. You know, it's nothing's new. It's like writing songs, Austin. Yeah. Right? And you're writing (laughs) and recording a bunch of material right now. That's right. You should share that with people. When we do our live podcast, will you play some guitar? (laughs) Sure. There, I just put him on the spot and said yes. (laughs) I won't say no. That's neat. All right, so we've talked then about keeping line off of the water. But now, let's talk about putting line on the water on purpose. So the other side of the coin then, the opposite concept here is to lay line on the water, but again, on purpose, with, with intention, let's say.
1: Yeah, I think intention is a key point there. And you know, bad things can happen when you lay line on the water. But you know, more stuff on the water means more things to deal with. And, mm. you know, potentially you're going to get some more drag there. But I think we're going to go over some situations where laying line on the water can be really to our advantage uh, when yeah. those scenarios align. Yeah. So if we have this plan, though, with, with intention,
0: that's a good word. What should that plan be? All right, let's start with a fly line rig. A fly line, a nine foot leader and an indicator.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, even before the cast, we have to look at where we're trying to deliver the fly to and look yeah. at the water between us and where the fly is going to land and say, okay, I've got this amount of uh, leader that's going to land on the water yeah. and I've got fly line between me and that leader. Mm-hmm. And you have to sort of set it up ahead of time that you know what you're going to do in terms of currents and, and different things that's moving at different speeds yeah. that you're able to make men's, uh, actively even in the cast, if not, uh, you know, after the cast, that you're yeah. able to set yourself up to get the most drag-free drift you can.
0: Yeah, the mending is what's going to be the critical skill here. Again, you're putting line on the water on purpose. You're thinking about it first. You should not put line on the water just almost accidentally. It shouldn't mm. just like, oh, no, I put line on the water. Well, you're in trouble then. Right. You need to do it. Is everything in one lane? Well, probably not, but is everything that's close to the fly in one lane? Like, is mm-hmm. it... Did the fly and then the tippet at least go in the same lane? If you have to lay line on the water, whether whether that's the sighter or then you got the indicator in the same lane, but maybe the the line next to the indicator (laughs) and the fly line is in a different lane. Okay, what was your plan? Yeah. You need to have a plan. Like you said, mending is the necessary thing to do here. Aerial mends for me are far better than on the water mends. I try to... Get everything set up in the air as much as possible. We had a full podcast about uh, um, fly casting and what matters most. Hmm. And all, what, five or six of us were talking about it. And I think we all kind of agreed that turnover matters most. Mm, yeah, The fly, I don't care what it is. It's a dry fly, a nymph, a streamer, a wet fly. Everything should turn over in the air and then go into the water. That. Bad cast. I'm gonna say where everything kind of lobs forward and the turnover completes on the water, it kind of rolls onto the water, where it's line, line, leader, leader, tip it, then fly. Mm-hmm. That's a bad cast. I'm sorry, Definitely. that's a bad cast. I know it's often taught as the easy thing to do. It's a bad cast. In this way, it's it's bad because you cannot get the setup that we're talking about. You want to fly first entry. And the tippet to go in the same seam, and then where do you want that indicator, that cider, the line that has to lay on the water? Can you get it in one seam? Okay, maybe not, but then you're putting it over here and you know you're going to mend on the water right away. Anyway, all of that happens in the air. The more you can get to happen in the air with aerial mends, the better. But the only way you're going to get good aerial mends is if you have complete and full turnover. The fly, the weight, gets to the end of the line, you should feel it tug a little bit, yeah. maybe a lot. You should feel it tug. And right after that tug is when you're going to do your aerial mend. That's right. Your placement, again, in the air so that things land. You're choosing to lay line on the water, but it's going to land the way you want it to because you got full turnover in the air. And now you're choosing that placement. That's the key. That might be, I think, the the most important part of this podcast.
1: And I got to say it, Austin. (laughs) I still have a shot.
0: You still have a, yeah. You'll have to come up with something better.
1: But, you know, we have to admit with the fly line rig, we are also committing to laying some line, at least, on the water. Unless, you know, we're really close. Yeah. And doing that with intention, you know, with a plan, and, you know, some skills for reading water and for mending, makes it a really deadly method. And I would add on to the point that you just made that, Mm. you know, is everything in one lane when that happens? And... Another question I ask myself in addition to this, let's say it's hard, you're casting a cross stream, it could be a nymphing scenario, or, or a dry fly scenario, dry dropper, let's just say whatever. Sure. You know, you ask yourself, is everything in one lane? And if for some reason you can't, well, is everything one speed? So if you have fly line on the water, nice. if nothing else, that fly line should be coasting and moving at the same speed as whatever else you're drifting. Uh, you know, something to think about. Good point. There's cross currents and all that. That's what you're looking for, the speed. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so let me point this out. Kind of a side note. We can use this same method with an indicator on a tight line rig. It works best with a standard mono rig with a butt section that is built for power and for pushing things around. You can mend a mono rig on the water just like a fly line, mm-hmm. very close. Very similar, anyway, to a fly line. You can also mend a rig with aerial mends, like I was describing, before it hits the water, getting everything in one lane then. This all works remarkably well with a standard leader build, and that's about a 20-pound butt section, maybe 15-pound. But it doesn't work with a micro rig, and that's fair. It just doesn't. You can't mend a micro rig on the water. You, you can lift line up and place it back down. You can lift and replace, lift and replace. And I'll do that when I'm using a micro rig, if I'm choosing to lay line on the water. But the leader, the micro rig, really has no power to do real men's like a standard rig. There's a big difference, once again, in the power of those leaders. Austin and I talked through all of this, different styles of mono rigs and euronymphing nymphing leaders. Um, there's a big benefit to having more power. We kind of like to have the performance of the fly line, and mm-hmm. the performance of a mono rig. That's why we often choose that standard rig as our go-to the most.
1: So, you know, we were just talking about putting an indie or an Indicator, on a tightline rig. <laughs> right. uh, but that's not... An
0: indicator. That's right.
1: <laughs> but that's not what most anglers are doing most of the time with these rigs. I think, you know, both of you and I would agree on that. That's true. Um, but a pure tightline rig with, with no Indicator attached you know, we can also choose to lay line on the water here. The portion of the leader we lay down is the cider. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it floats on the top; hence the term of floating the cider. We often float the cider when we need more distance. Uh, but trying to keep all the line up would cause drag.
0: Yeah, let's talk about floating the cider. We're talking about what you can do with a nine-foot leader and a fly line and an indicator. Yeah, and lay line on the water and mending, and how you can even do that with a standard mono- sure. rig build. But yeah we're talking about floating a cider mhm and let's get this out of the way first a cider is not a great suspender agree y- you do <laughs> it's a good indicator but it's not a good suspension device right on yeah and we talked about suspenders what was it episode 3 i think of this season mhm so a thicker cider and i've tested all this about 0x or 0.011 inches can suspend maybe 15 centigrams. That's like a number 16 nymph with a 2.5 millimeter tungsten bead. Conversion chart. Yeah, you don't make fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to be specific, bud. <laughs> so if you are trying to use the cider as a suspender, definitely grease it up. If I'm floating the cider, I'm always greasing it up. But anyway, a cider, really, yeah. and even a thicker cider that I just said, like an OX cider, the most it can suspend Okay, it's not very much, but it can suspend like 15 centigrams, 10 to 15 centigrams, but not for long because the currents kind of wash it under. Imagine doing it in pocket water or any water where the the current's kind of rolling just even just a little bit. Those currents kind of wash over top of the cider and bury it. Mm -hmm. So some water types are much better suited for floating the cider, especially if you're trying to use this tactic as a suspender,
1: yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And if you really want to suspend something, there's better options on that. Oh yeah. we talked about in that in the previous episode mm-hmm. about suspension devices. Um, but what we can think about when we're floating the cider is almost as if it was a placeholder. Mm-hmm. So the cider does not have uh, much strength to to float heavy nymphs, right? Right. As you just said. Even if you but, pack a bunch of
0: grease around the knots and do all that right. stuff. Yeah. Again, you got to realize the comp scene, the comp guys have to do that because they are not allowed to add an indicator or an indie. Right.
1: Right. But we can. So we do. Yep. And what you may think of as floating flies or suspending flies um, is actually the time period between when the flies enter the water And when they become tight to your cider, Mm, nice. there's a window of time here. Imagine you're fishing a a fairly moderate riffle or, you know, kind of maybe a flatter piece of water where you make a tuck cast and the flies enter the water and you drop that cider down on the water afterwards. And at the same time, that cider starts to move downstream towards you while those flies underneath the water are dropping towards the riverbed. And as those flies drop, the slack that's built into that cast, the slack that's built in that tippet starts to disappear. Mm. And eventually that goes tight. Mm. And when those flies go tight, your cider will get sucked under. Now, the hope is that before that happens, a fish takes your fly. Yeah. And you'll see that on the surface of the cider uh, move or twitch or just get taken under before those flies receive the payload. Yeah. And that's when you can get a, a strike indicated in a fish on the line. But it's not necessarily floating flies of any significant weight, but it is keeping track of your slack that's built into your cast.
0: Oh, that's perfect. I, I just think that's that's fantastic. You and I have gone <laughs> through this, how, oh, for years, right? I think there was a... Yeah. I know there was a big misunderstanding. I think there still is about what is actually happening when you're floating the cider. Well, it isn't a good suspender. And so what you just said is what we've started to call the cider as a placeholder. Mm-hmm. If you do it, I think, right, if you, the best way... A little tuck cast. Just give it a little bit of grace. That does not mean there's two feet of slack. No. There might be two inches of slack. Maybe Mm -hmm. two, four, six inches of slack if you had to add it up. It gives the fly a little bit of grace to drop. You're still in contact enough to notice those strikes. If that cider moves anyway, if it moves at all, boom, you're set. Because it shouldn't move as those flies are on the way down. And the cider is acting as a placeholder. Because the cider is not really feeling the weight of the flies. It's not suspending those flies as those flies drop. And you can let it ride for a long time if the leader and the current and the fly weight, maybe it's light. If all that is just right, you can get a long drift before you get that kind of true contact, like you're saying. Definitely. And I say true because there there can be contact. You could have immediate strike detection when a fish eats. And yet the cider doesn't really feel the payload, as you put it, of the nymph yet. It's not being pulled under. You can do this even with medium weights. I would to say mediums, like twenty five to thirty centigrams. That's my definition anyway. Mm-hmm. And you can get pretty long drifts in the right water. That's right. With the right tuck cast. You know, it really often comes down to that turnover again. You need that tuck cast. The tuck cast isn't fancy. People make way too big of a deal out of the tuck cast. It's just a fly first entry. And what you're talking about there is a fly first entry. And now how much slack, how much grace do I want to have in that tippet? Mm -hmm. And you need some. I'm going to say I rarely try to have like immediate contact from my fly to my cider because then the cider's straight out. And I don't like that. Yeah, because then everything's eh, dragging, it'll go under right away. It will'll especially with 25 centigrams mm-hmm. or more. It will go under right away. And because the cider is not a good suspender, but it's a good placeholder. So if you give it a little bit of slack, with a little bit of tuck cast. Then the flies are just dropping, just, and maybe dropping slowly. Yeah. Like Deli's super pause with the streamers. It really is. That's a good analogy. Um, Things are just dropping slowly, and it's not putting any payload again on that cider. As things are just coming, you can get really nice, long drifts that way. We use the cider as a placeholder while the flies drop, and they come back downstream to us. Again, we're casting upstream. I hope everybody He's already on board with that. <laughs> so then as the flies are gaining that strike zone and getting close to the bottom, here's another thing. Just as the cider is gaining mm. that payload, we often then peel that cider that's off right. the water, and then we'll tight line, just pure tight line the rest of the drift. Mm, I love that. Right? You and I both do that.
1: Yeah. That's a you know a really good transition. And there's certain times when that's you know more effective and more applicable than others sure to be able to go from a you know directly upstream cast where you're laying some of that cider on the water controlled amount of cider and being able to time it just so right that when the flies get uh, close enough Mm -hmm. to you that they're starting to uh, want to get to the point where they're going to drop that tip of the cider we can go ahead and lift and continue the drift all the way through across you know that lower 45 and then send it up for the next cast and do it again yeah yeah it's really nice Mm -hmm. For over a decade, Smith Creek
0: has helped anglers just like you to free up your hands, hold your gear within easy reach, and keep our waters clean. Smith Creek's family of patented accessories are tested guide-tough and backed by good old-fashioned customer service. Crafted from rugged materials like anodized marine-grade aluminum and UV-resistant nylon, Smith Creek products are hand-assembled with pride and built to last. To stay up to date on their latest specials and new product releases, be sure to follow Smith Creek on Instagram at Smith Creek NZ. Quality you can depend on from a brand you can trust. That's Smith Creek. The landscape is changing for trout anglers. No doubt you've already noticed another truck at your favorite access point and seen more anglers on the water. For those looking for new challenges and fishing opportunities, Trout Routes has the data to help you avoid the crowds and explore new public water. Trout Routes has mapped more than 50,000 trout streams across the country with curated detailed maps of public land and access points. Trout Routes has developed integrated and interactive data, putting the tools in your hands to research new water and help you navigate in the wild to know exactly where you stand in the current. It's still up to you to find those deep pools and undercuts, but Trout Routes helps you get on the water, connecting you with resources like fly shops and stream gauges for trout water across the country. Download Trout Routes in the App Store today and visit TroutRoutes.com to learn more. You brought up the 45-degree angle, too. Yeah, you get it all. Right? If you... So one of the reasons we lay the cider on the water in the first place and float the cider is because maybe we feel like we need more distance. Mm -hmm. And we do have a lighter fly. And so if we would try to be tight, if we try to use that tight line advantage, then we're accidentally dragging things downstream. So we'll float the cider, most often as a placeholder, for the first 10 feet of drift, maybe 15 feet of drift. And just as it's getting down into that, strike zone and it starts to slow down and wanting to pull the cider down, like you said. Now we're within range. That's right. Within that angle where we can pick up and it doesn't matter anymore. Um what doesn't matter, I mean, is that we're not going to have drag anymore. Yeah. So we peel, I like to say peeling it off the water. That's how I think about it. Just yep, <laughs> yep. I would grease it up for sure because it lifts off easier. And you peel it off. That's the hard part. This is a difficult tactic. It's, it is extremely effective if you can get it right peel it off and now we're tight lining for the rest of the drift whether that's 15 or 20
1: feet that you might have left you know you just brought up water type and uh, you know the first time I was shown this was actually by George Daniel about 11 or 12 years ago I was out on a trip with him and uh, we were fishing in some really low and clear water and he brought the tactic up as a way to uh, maintain stealth and get good clean dead drifts Mm. Uh, while keeping some distance from the fish and not having to put on uh, an overly aggressive indicator or uh, casting too far away from yourself and causing drag. And I've kind of carried that with me, but especially uh, I like to fish that uh, method in sort of flatter water. Like we said, pocket water is a little too aggressive, can kind of drown the cider and just make everything Mm. muddy and unclear. But when I'm working upstream, and maybe there's some water that you may pass over uh, more regularly because it's sort of flat and you know, you can't really get great looking dead drifts because you feel like you're just going to drag it through the water or something yeah. like that. That's the exact scenario where I really love the float to cider because I can just cast upstream, get a good, you know, 10, 15 feet of drift, maybe pick it up, move up, uh, a little further, make that cast again and work my way up methodically through the river. And I'm not going to do it all day long. You know, if I was going to do that, right. I may put on a Dorsey or a, a, you know, a thingamabob or something like that. But if I'm passing through some intermediary water where there's not a lot of in between, I love to just float my cider through that stuff and make quick drifts, move along and and work that water efficiently um, without having to, you know, maybe make some half-hearted tight line drifts that wouldn't have appeared nearly as good it
0: does open up a lot of options for you in a lot of different water types. I like that. So a couple more tips then on floating the cider along those same lines. I mean, we said you have to do it with intention. You have to have a plan. Don't do it accidentally, right? Don't just like, oh, I laid my cider on the water. No, that was a mistake. Yeah. And on purpose starts with turnover. You must have turnover. Fly first entry and now how much tippet slack are you going to introduce and then where is the cider you know what it should be in one lane that's right if you're casting 45 degrees across stream and your fly goes in and your tippet goes in another seam and then your cider is actually crossing let's say your cider is two to three feet long Mm -hmm. and your cider is even in two or maybe three different currents you are in trouble it's only going to drag now even more remember the tight line advantage the tight line advantage is saying Hey, the more we can keep things up and out of the water, the better. Because we acknowledge that when we lay line on the water, especially when things are in cross currents and different seams, we're in trouble. So get that turnover. Get the fly to go in one lane, one seam. Yeah. Get the tippet to go in one lane, one seam. And then get the cider to land in one lane, and one seam. The same as... The fly, nothing could be more critical here. Yep. Except maybe just as critical is having some, I'm going to call them like subtle curves Mm. or just a little bit less than hard contact on that cider. Yeah. If you land with the perfectly straight cider that's totally in contact with the nymph, I think that's not as good. You can do it that way, especially if you're really, really thin on everything. Okay. Right. Not my preference. And I'd like to get it to tuck in and and get that cider to land with just slight curves. You can see, you can see it's not perfectly straight. Well, it's something less than pure contact
1: until it gets it, like you said, when it gets lower. And that's all affected so much by, you know, the weight of your flies and the speed of the water. And you can, depending on the speed of the water, vary the weight of your flies to get uh, the longer drop time that you're looking for. Um, in addition to, you know, everything in one lane and, and, you know, line on water we're talking about, I would still recommend, you know, don't leave any line on the water that you don't have to. Uh, yeah. You know, so you may make that cast and that cider lands. That's great. But there may be five, 10 feet of, uh, you know, leader material out there. Colored line or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to lay that down too. (laughs) No. You can, uh, take that up and, you know, kind of go tight to the the cider, you could say, as if we were going tight to a dry dropper, an indicator, and and manage it that way. You don't even have to have the whole cider on the water. You could have have half of it on the water for For that, uh, you know, all that means. But if there's any excess of line that you can take off the water and not cause drag, Mm. well, then do that. That's it. That's a fantastic point. If your cider is five feet, four feet,
0: let's say, don't float four feet of the cider if you don't have to. Yeah. You said it perfectly. If you can lift that line up and not influence, right, not have influence Mm -hmm. over the rest of your cider, lift it up. Peel it off. That's the key. You don't have to float the whole thing. You might only float five inches, not five feet, especially when you're using it as a placeholder. Everybody out there, you should test for yourself how much your cider can actually float. Is it a good suspender? test it for yourself. Don't believe us. See what it can actually float. Pack it full of grease. Knots and grease. See how much it can actually float. It's not much. And so we don't use it as a suspender very much. I really think that this placeholder concept is what most people are really doing, whether they realize it or not, when they're floating a cider. With a number 16 or even an 18, you can get these nice, long, drifts where the fly is just dropping and it's not creating any payload mm-hmm. on the cider so the cider again is acting as a placeholder key point is to make sure that cider is in the same lane and go on the same speed as what you
1: want your nymph to be yeah hey anything else austin sure uh, you know we're i just kind of Well, oh, that was quick you're ready <laughs> yeah i was just thinking about indicators a little bit more stump them <laughs> and uh um, you know, I'm thinking about scenarios where I'm making a really long or far indicator cast, you know, let's say a hard thingamabobber. And mm-hmm. um, in those situations, you know, upstream, I'm not going to be able to keep all that line off the water, you know, right away. You know, ideally I could have all that line off the water, create no influence on the indicator, you know, get a nice clean drift. Mm-hmm. But there are times, even when we're fishing these styles, that laying line on the water is a good thing. For sure. Especially because we're fishing upstream, meaning that slack and that line is coming back towards us. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And no matter what we're doing when we're fishing line on the water, whether it's an indicator, whether it's a dry fly, whether it is a a sighter, as that line comes back, we're going to retrieve that line as the same speed that the river feeds it to us. Mm. And as soon as we can go tight to the indicator, tight to the cider, tight to the dry fly, we're going to try to continue that drift. Mm. Now, the nice thing about an indicator. Uh, especially a hard one is that we can keep the indicator going after it passes us. Nice. So there's almost a, uh, a secondary mend that can occur. Oh, yeah. So we retrieve the slack on the way towards us and this could be a whole other podcast, right? Mm, nice. But on the way out, we can kind of get the, the second half of the drift again where we can now feed slack back out to the indicator and oh, let yeah. it keep going. Mm-hmm. And we use the surface tension of the water and things like that to feed the line back out. So it's sort of a, uh, sort of a dance if you, uh, if you will. Oh, that's perfect. We do that a lot, right? On big water systems. Yeah. We did that just the other day together. We spent a lot of time doing that.
0: Absolutely.
1: But you and can you- only do it by letting line on the water and letting it back on the mm-hmm. water again. Feeding it back out is That's its right. own,
0: uh, well, it's a skill
1: set, right? Yeah. And it's, and there's men's in that too, right?
0: Yeah. If you're good at keeping tension off of the indie, which yeah. is less influence then, right? You'll get hits all the way to the very end of the drift. How I many times, it. right? How many times have you gone, I'm yeah. about to pick up, oh, there's a fish. That's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so late. Late in the yep, drift. Late, exactly. late, late.
1: <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah.
0: Our buddy, Pat. Is the one who showed me that. And I remember, you know, standing behind him and just watching him and just thinking like, damn, like, pick it up, bud. Drift's over. And then he goes, bang. (laughs) And he's like, see, really late, really late. (laughs) Pat's the best.
1: Pat showed Sloop and then Sloop showed me.
0: (laughs) 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 That's the best. We got to get Pat on one of the live podcasts. Ah, We really do. He'd be so good. I think he'd enjoy it. All right, there it is. Line up or line down. Use the tight line advantage or give it up when that doesn't make sense. The decisions are yours, but as we've stressed with all of these nymphing concepts, do things on purpose and have a plan for your presentation. Know why you make your decisions. Try things out and change again if the trout don't agree. The changes here don't need to be dramatic either because small adjustments like mending a little sooner or building a little more slack into the cast before dropping your cider to the surface can make all the difference the choices are yours so i hope you've enjoyed this series of episodes about getting true dead drifts with a nymph i believe all the concepts all the keys are right here and next week we'll wrap up this series on critical nymphing concepts with my favorite question to ask diehard anglers who are into nymphing what do you do when trout won't eat a good dead drift how do you animate the fly to entice a stubborn fish all right, Olympic, uh, two-time, two-time Olympic champion,
1: Austin Dando. <laughs> will you read us out? I hope to be three-time pretty soon. Hey, now. <laughs> Okay. So remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 1,000 articles with Ooh, endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Go find what you like through the top menu through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel, now featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series, the Fish and Film Series, and the Trout Bitten Fly Box, all in collaboration with the wonderful Wilds Media. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a comment because it really, really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. (laughs) <laughs> <The> super fast
0: <boss. laughs> That's right I'm back in i'm back
1: in you're already crumbled don't make
0: fun hey <laughs> i almost lost my glass that's how they scratch up
1: way to go idiot <laughs> come on dom <laughs> take it seriously coming soon mm. i'm just speaking facts Ooh, i don't like to think about that right but we can i'll feel really sad so we do conversion chart yeah <laughs> don't make fun mm, yeah you are in trouble get a nice clean drift